The word of the Lord, Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In that first verse of the whole Bible, we learn an essential truth, that God is the creator, the maker of all things. When this passage that it's very likely we've memorized and maybe even one of those passages we still remember after we memorized it when we were kids, we know that, that, the, that God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much more to just that simple verse than, than that God made two places, the heavens and the earth. When the passage refers here to the heavens, we shouldn't just think of heaven as a place where the Christian goes when you die, someone who's been born again and redeemed by Christ, the place where you go, where your soul goes to after you die. We should think of heavens in a far fuller way. When we learn that God created the heavens, we learn there that, that God created the unseen spiritual realm that is all around us, that not only includes the place where a believer's soul will dwell after death, but would include also angels, unseen things. And so God created the heavens. Similarly, when Genesis 1-1 tells us that God made the earth, we shouldn't just think of the world or the globe, the, the physical place where we live, the earth with its atmosphere, but God made every physical object in the whole universe. Colossians 1 teaches this very truth that, that there's um, a, a fuller way of viewing Genesis 1-1 than just that God made heaven and the world, but in Colossians 1 it says that the Lord made all things that are visible and invisible. This is the, the verse where we are reminded that God didn't just make the earth, the physical world that we live in, but he made stars and planets and everything in the world, of course, as well, mountains and oceans and animals. And beyond that as well, God made invisible things also. He made gravity and the laws of physics and ethics and rights and personalities and desires and feelings and thoughts. So while this might sound like very basic Christian doctrine, we need to hear this truth regularly and be reminded of it so that we would be bolstered in our faith in God. We need these reminders not only so that we would grow in our own faith that God made everything that is seen and unseen, but that we would be better prepared to talk with people who do not believe that God has made the heavens and the earth. All of us need reminders that God made the world and all that is in it, that God made the heavens, has made solar systems and galaxies that we're just now starting to, to discover and see for ourselves. Some of you might be lifelong Christians, and you still need reminders that God made the heavens and the earth. Why do we need these reminders? Because if we're going to be honest today, 
The thought, uh, we could even say the temptation, will creep into our mind at times and we will wonder, is there really a God behind this world? Is there really a creator? Is God real? And so we find in Genesis 1-1 a reminder to believe that God made the heavens and the earth. And we'll get into some evidence for that in just a few moments. But even the Christian needs the reminder because you'll have that temptation at times through your life. But brothers and sisters, we're called in this passage to believe God is real. He's the creator of all things seen and unseen. Others maybe who are here in person or have stumbled across our live stream could be maybe in a more skeptical category. Somebody who isn't so convinced yet that this Christianity is teaching the truth, that the word of God is true, and that maybe even that there is a God who would make the heavens and the earth. Such people um, are maybe searching or wondering or curious about what the Bible teaches, and, and with that comes a desire for some evidence and for some reasons why you should believe that God made the heavens and the earth. It's important for us to start with Genesis 1-1 sometimes and return to these truths so that we could answer some of those questions for people, which are good questions. So no matter the status of your faith today, I want to tell you what helps me believe that Genesis 1-1 is telling the truth about the origin of the material and immaterial world around us. First, there are good reasons to believe that the Bible is telling the truth. Even if you haven't seen a miracle with your own eyes, there are so many good reasons to believe that the miracles of the Bible have happened, including, and most importantly, the miracle of the resurrection of Christ. We won't get into all of the evidences of the resurrection of Christ today, but, but I want to encourage you to trust, maybe even if you're a skeptic or if you're wavering in your faith today, to trust for a moment that the miracles of scriptures are, there are good reasons to believe that they have happened or even that miracles happen today in the world. Similarly, the ethical teaching of the Bible has been critiqued and criticized like no other moral system in history and yet has stood the test of time and we can say with confidence today that like the psalmist we can say that God's way is a good way to live. And so there's evidence in um, the moral, in the sense of morality and ethics for believing the teaching of the Bible. But turning our attention to creation today, you might wonder, can you prove to me that God exists? <clears throat> Sometimes people would jump right to that question when reading Genesis 1.1. Could you prove it to me? And the answer is no. To believe this requires faith. It requires for us to have faith, but it isn't a blind leap of faith. Sometimes people assume that when we talk about faith in the Christian church, we are encouraging people to turn your brain off and to take a, a flying leap into the darkness. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the Word of God is encouraging. Certainly that is not the approach of a Reformed church. We are called to have faith in God. But it is a faith that is built up on evidence, on what we can observe. And so, 
here's what helps me live with some confidence that there is a God. Um, in thinking of, uh, for myself and my own faith, um, some people start with the physical world and they look for all of the, the fine-tuning of creation and they would see how beautiful the world has been made and they would sort of track back from that into the spiritual and say, if there's a God, an intelligent designer for all this, there must be an intelligent designer for me. That's one good approach. But I sort of like to, to take the, the opposite approach in my own thinking and, and realize that, that I have a soul and you have a soul. And so starting there with the spiritual side, we can sort of expand that out to say there must be something more to the world given that, that I believe I have a soul than just what meets the eye in the physical world as well. So here's what, what really helps me to live with confidence that there is a God, that there is, that I know and I believe that there is more to me than skin and organs and neurons firing in my brain. That I am a moral agent with a conscience, with a purpose, and with a soul. And so are you. And so starting there with the, the spiritual side, which if the Spirit of God is at work in you, you will, you will believe and you'll see, your, God will open your eyes. There, there's more to me, I know there is, than just X number of years in the world, and then when my brain waves stop functioning and my heart stops someday, that'll be the end. We, we know in our heart of hearts, if the Spirit of God is at work in you, there's more to life than just the physical world around us or your physical existence. When you open yourself up to that truth that you have a soul, there must be more than also to the world around us than what we can just observe with our senses. And so Genesis 1-1, where God created the heavens and the earth, not only confirms that there is a physical and spiritual realm, but that, that God is the mover behind it all. Opening yourself up to this belief that you have a soul would point you, hopefully then also, to ask the question, well, where did it come from? And, of course, we find here the answer is, is God. One simple spiritual being, as the Belgic Confession begins in Article 1. There's a good time and a good place for all of the arguments looking at the fine-tuning of the universe. And um, you could start with there. There wouldn't be a bad place to start in thinking about making an argument for the Christian faith and its truth. Um, the atheist Christopher Hitchens actually once said that the fine-tuning argument of the, uh, the universe is the best argument in, in that atheist's mind for the existence of a God. So we can see in the laws of, of physics and in the fine-tuned ecosystems of the world and the special nature of the world in which we live, all kinds of reasons to believe that God is not only a creator but is sustaining the world that he made. But what helps me most often is to remember the spiritual side, that I have a soul and the spiritual side of my life had to come from somewhere. And this passage answers that question of where. That God not only made the heavens and the earth, but he made my body and my soul. So, continuing to Genesis 1 verse 2. If I'm being completely honest, this always seemed to me like a kind of a strange verse. And... Um, 
always seemed to me a little bit like a, a strange way for God to begin his creation. Genesis 1 verse 2 often gets skipped over a little bit in our recollections of the creation story. After in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the next verse shows us an earth that is without form and void. Um, the Hebrew passage here is, has a little rhyme in it. it what the, the earth was tohu vabohu, and that was meant to help people remember um, the the formlessness and emptiness of the earth in its first phase of God's creation. The NIV translation that maybe many of you are a little bit more familiar with describes the world as formless and empty. So the first phase of God's physical creation was dark and chaotic. There wasn't any sin in creation yet, and so the reason for the, uh, the turbulence of the waters was not sin, but this is how God wanted it to be in Genesis 1 verse 2. Now due to our sinful proclivity to doubt God's perfect plan, we might think that this isn't a very good way to make the world. Us kind of orderly people might kind of struggle with Genesis 1 verse 2. That's probably the reason we like to skip over Genesis 1-2 and get right to the part where God is speaking the, all the beautiful components of creation into existence. But if we skip verse 2, we'll miss something very important about God's character. And we'll even miss what I believe is a hint towards the gospel itself. The method by which God made the world was to take what was chaotic and to put it into order. He took what was empty. He made something formless and empty and made it full and beautiful. When we read Genesis 1-2, we see a mess. And when God looked on his creation at that stage, he saw potential. Potential for all of the beautiful things that he would do and that he would make. My favorite teaching on Genesis 1-2 comes from Charles Spurgeon in a great sermon that he preached on this very passage. He said so memorably, could we have seen that world in all its confusion? We certainly would have said, who can make a world out of this? Who can make a world out of this? Of course, the answer God can. And we can even go a step further. Only God can. Only God can. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God had a plan for the world that he was making, for the universe that he was forming. He was going to take what was formless and make it glorious. We find this teaching all throughout the Bible. Um, not just in a general sense, but even um, pointing to what the Bible says about creation itself. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, I love this little passage, probably not a very well-known passage. For what, for, sorry, this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. So he had a purpose, even at this formless and empty phase of creation for what he was going to do. Similarly, in Psalm 
104, verses 27 through 30, where um, we find that the Spirit continues to, to renew the face of the earth, even today. All look to you, Lord, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, just as is reference here to our passage, Genesis 1-2, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. So what if we just stopped reading the Bible at Genesis 1 verse 2? thinking that that was the end of the story. There's turbulence and darkness and the Spirit is hovering over the, the, uh, the face of the waters. What if we just stopped reading there? Of course, we, we wouldn't stop reading there because you want to continue to find out what God does in this creation. But if we don't do that with Genesis 1 verse 2, why do we do that with our own lives? When our lives become turbulent, chaotic, feeling empty, are covered by darkness, why would we at times, if we're tempted, stop trusting in God? If if we don't stop reading Genesis 1-2 and we want to find out where does this go from here, what is the rest of the story, shouldn't that also be our attitude thinking about our own lives? When life becomes chaotic, turbulent, dark, confusing, The description of the earth as formless and empty in Genesis 1-2 should actually give us hope. So we would read a passage like this and say, what happens next? We should think of our lives when they're looking like this and and say, what will you do next, God? As the Spirit of God is, is hovering over you, what might come next as God puts things in order and reveals their purpose? God took that dark and tumultuous world and made it so beautiful. Maybe that's what we need to dwell on just for a moment as we pause today. The world is so beautiful, isn't it? Um, My wife's sister-in-law was just here a few weeks ago. We took time up at Calaveras Big Trees to walk among the sequoia trees there. It is so beautiful life-givingly beautiful to walk around in that forest. It is, it's actually like a shock to your senses how good it smells and how beautiful those trees are and what it feels like to have the cool air on your skin. The world is so full of beauty and that came from what was formless and void and dark. And that's the work of God. To take what is empty and to make it full. Now, of course, if your life feels chaotic now, consider that the whole universe was that way. And God set the universe into order. Can God do that in your life, your little life as well? Absolutely. So when sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, Humanity was was kind of plunged back into a sense of moral darkness and disorder. That's that word that we might throw around without thinking of it too much today, disorder. Think of what it might mean in the moral sense, that that the world, through our first parents, Adam and Eve, was, was plunged back into some of the darkness and disorder. But, of course, that's not the end of the story. 
When the Bible says later that all things were created by Christ and through Christ and for Christ, it means that the creation itself is about the glory of the Son of God in redeeming sinners. So even the method of God's creation points forward to the redeeming work of Jesus. That's why we should love Genesis 1 verse 2. That the method of God's creation to take what is formless, empty, and dark, to make it purposeful and beautiful and good points us to what God can do in the life of an individual person. That he does this creative, redeeming work in us. So we'll see this so clearly at the end of the Bible. And we've just read the first two verses. And I would encourage you to open to Revelation 21 right now as well. So open to the second to last chapter of the whole Bible. Revelation 21, the reference is on the screen if you need the reminder as we start to close here. And we really could read this chapter after every sermon, I think, of the 14 messages in this series because Revelation 21 has so many mirror messages to Genesis 1 through 3. The Bible is, not only did God create the world so beautifully, but the the scriptures are written so beautifully that um, we'll find so many uh, references, even just to the first two verses in the passage we read. And listen now for parallels to God's creative work in Genesis 1 and pay attention to, to the final destination of those who are redeemed through Christ but also pay attention to to those who live a sinful life and refuse to to trust in God and uh, to, to their end as well. Revelation 21. Then I saw, this is John, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. No more turbulence, no more chaos, no more darkness. That's what the sea represents. And the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will, er, and death, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, and the former things have passed away. So all that sin introduced into the world, all the chaos that came with sin is gone. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So now what does water represent? Life, the water of life, of eternal life. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will bless, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, 
the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so they will live in the chaos of judgment, and those redeemed in Christ now receive the water of life without payment. So, the Spirit of God that hovered over the dark waters in Genesis 1-2, is now upon you, hovering over your life. So, brothers and sisters, when you sin, when you sin, when you give in to temptation, when you struggle, when you are confused, when you are feeling empty, when you are struggling in this world, remember this truth. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters which were formless and empty and dark, that Spirit of God hovers over you to give you life. To put even your life into good order through Christ. Just as God did not create the world to be empty, he did not create your life so it could be wasted. In the new heavens and in the new earth, nothing will be formless and empty but every redeemed person will experience the purpose of your creation, which is to live with God and to glorify him forever, like the world that he has made, like the heavens that he has made. So this is not only the, the story of the beginning, but we'll see all throughout this series that it points to what is happening in the world now and so beautifully points forward towards what God will do when he makes everything new again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.